Yeah, now it's dark, and certainly it is a strange and dark time these days, but maybe we can find some kind of canary in a coal mine, as you put it, Tim. That's right. Figuring out what the heck is going on these days. Well, as we revealed in our last episode on Blue Velvet, our name comes from a line in the film where, you know, anytime Dennis Hopper's character is, is kind of about to go into this, this darkness or, or whenever he's about to do something bad, uh, he says, now it's dark. And yeah. I've always thought about this, this podcast as kind of like an excavation of our current political moment. And I think more than ever, I think this sort of sentiment that things are kind of in this decline, that, that we've, we're, we've entered this period of darkness, mm-hmm. I mean, it rings truer now than ever. Yeah, it seems like we're just in a state of total entropy right now. Yeah, well, with (laughs) the coronavirus and all that's happened there, and then with the wave of protests and riots that have happened in the wake of George Floyd's death, it just seems like 2020 is is becoming a year unlike any other. You know, it's funny because I remember this thing that my dad said in, I don't know, mid 2000s like 2005 2006ish or so and you know he he grew up in the 60s and he just said in the mid 2000s he said like oh it just seems like nothing happens anymore right and i guess when he what he was talking about was things like uh you know like look at all the the big names who got assassinated in the 60s and the, the woodstock and the moon landing and things like that and now in 2020 it seems like we're certainly on pace for that kind of thing yeah things are happening now there's definitely historical moments yeah. that, that have taken place this year. And I think looking at the protests, looking at everything that's happened since George Floyd's death and really murder. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you see the video, the, the nine minutes of him being held down with a, with yeah. a knee on his throat, is, it's hard to watch. It's hard to, to stomach. And it's, it really just seems like a pretty obvious case of murder. Yeah, we don't need to sugarcoat it. Yeah. But... One thing that surprised me was just how kind of everyone agreed that this was terrible and that this was an obvious case of murder. And when the protests and, and riots happened, I think there were there has been this real rush to kind of codify the protests as meaning one thing or another. And while there's no debate that, you know, a large dimension and, and probably the biggest dimension of these protests are against racism and police brutality you know, particularly against kind of this this broken windows policy of policing that's happened, you know, I guess since the, the 80s, 90s, where it's like in order to kind of, I guess, prevent crime or, or you know, police things properly, there's there was this theory that, you know, if you really manage order and, and maintain order in a society— uh, you can prevent crimes from happening. You can you can encourage kind of more, I guess, better behaved communities and stuff like that. Right, right. Like Sideshow Bob and the Simpsons running for mayor. Kind it's of. Like you want, deep down, you want a Republican to be tough on crime, lower taxes, and rule you like a king. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a similar idea, right? Yeah. I mean, the whole idea of broken windows comes from this, this article in, that was written in The Atlantic, and it kind of laid out this idea 
where it's like, well, listen, if you have a community and you have a building where, you know, there's a broken window, if you leave that window broken, other windows will be broken. Mm, yeah. Uh, whereas if you repair it and you kind of maintain order by being very vigilant, the, you know, the place will be better maintained. And this translates in terms of policing, in terms of just like mass arrests, mm -hmm. uh, you know, police arresting people for really petty infractions. Right. And, you know, there have been there have been some stories and some rumblings as well. And, you know, you and I are so separated from what's going on these days just geographically. But there have been some stories that I've seen online where it seems like the police may be just leaving this this innocuous pile of bricks nearby storefront windows and things. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, that's uh, something that I've I've seen people suggest is there's just a pile of bricks here, no construction site around or anything like that, and it might just be sort of like that broken window thing, right? If you see if you see a building with one broken window, many others may be broken, just like if you see a pile of bricks, you're like, "Hey, let's take these bricks and throw them through some windows." Well, and you know, what's what's really been I guess toxic about this this theory of policing and this practice of policing is that it has resulted in, you know, just so many more black people being incarcerated, being arrested, being stopped, and has led to the sort of things where, you know, you have Eric Garner and you have George Floyd and you have all these cases of, of people being, I guess, stopped and, you know, taken into custody for extremely minor things like selling loose cigarettes or, you mm. know, forging something. Uh, yeah, George Floyd allegedly forged a check. Right. That's what happened. Right. And, you know, so it's it's led to things like Black Lives Matter and, and all these movements against police brutality and, you know, more generally against racism. So that's, like I said, I think the biggest dimension of this and, and the one that, you know, if you look on social media and, and just in corporate media more generally, people have been focusing on. But, I mean, it would be impossible to ignore the huge economic dimensions of this as well. And I think because of the economic distress that particularly the U.S. is facing right now with, you know, just depression levels of, of unemployment and, you know, people who will very likely get kicked out of their, their homes when, you know, all these stops against evictions and stuff like that are, are pulled out or rolled back. You know, there there's a wave of, of oncoming evictions due. Yeah. And, you know, people who can't afford health care, uh, people whose health care is being cut in the middle of a, of, of a pandemic. Um, I think one of the reasons why you see, you know, in many cases, a majority of the protesters who are white is just the fact that there's a huge economic dimension to this as well. And, you know, just as well, just more generally alienation, a, a sense that, you know, the government is not working, a sense of frustration. I think it's also important to mention, too, just the fact that Bernie Sanders and that movement kind of didn't win. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a lot of frustration and angst and, and bitterness and depression about that. And all that is playing into this this mix of outrage and, and anger and, you know, protesting, but also rioting. Yeah. Because you cannot deny that there's also rioting taking place. Yeah. You know. And there are a lot of movies that have been made recently, not so recently, that may have 
predicted that this would happen. Well, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to focus on today. Yeah, and movies that you could actually watch to even better understand what is happening today. Right. Uh, Part of what we do in this podcast as an excavation of this political moment is kind of going with this theory that, that films are kind of like a canary in a coal mine. Right. They sense things that are happening. They, they can kind of gauge the temperature of society uh, even before things happen. And especially in this time when when, you know, there's so much competing information out there where social media has kind of devolved into this sort of like different tribes fighting against each other mm-hmm. and, and, you know, uh, spreading kind of insular information, uh, being trapped in their own bubble, uh, as well as just, you know, the huge lack of trust in institutions that that we used to look to to kind of gauge society and tell us what's going on yeah it's hard to tell these days how much or how little the the mainstream news is actually reporting and it's hard to gauge on social media like that pile of bricks thing that i told you about how true or how false something is or how prevalent something is um there's it's almost like that's the problem with having so much information at the tips of your fingers it's hard to really sort out what's what Well, yeah. And, you know, because we're looking to just individuals and not journalists who ostensibly have to uphold, at least if they're good, uh, uh, you know, principles of objectivity and, you know, balancing out different sources and and trying to get an overview on things, trying to contextualize things because that dimension is gone and missing in social media. You just have people kind of parroting what they already believe. So you kind of get this validation of your own belief system rather than getting a context in which to understand things, a broader context. Right. You're preaching to the choir. Right. Yeah. And I think films, probably more than any other artistic medium right now, give you that context that's missing. They, they give you a story. They give you a world in which to understand things. Yeah, they're biased. Yeah, they're, they're fictionalized. They're, they're not presenting a journalistic, or journalistic account of something. Mm-hmm. But they do give you a sense of something. Right, and even though they may be biased sometimes, I still think that they are perhaps a little bit more— um, they have a broader appeal than something like a particular news company. Right. Right? I mean, you, you may not read— you may not subscribe to what Fox gives you or you may not subscribe to what CNN gives you, but maybe you're still going to go see this new movie, even right. if it, it turns out it disagrees with your own politics. Well, I think because just like in real life, if you, if you have a person behind kind of an ideology or, or an event, if you have a story behind it, you can understand, you can get a sense of what's happening rather than just being presented with this bit of information or this point of view. Right. And that's the great value of film. Yeah. And I think in this era of franchise films and superhero movies, that's kind of been lost. Right. Yeah. Because they don't want to they don't want to alienate anyone. (laughs) Right. They want to make money. Yeah. And, you know, a sure way to not make money and to cut off certain segments of of, a potential audience is to get political. Yeah. Or to get a little bit risque to to, uh, kind of make something a little bit too irreverent and potentially lose a segment of your audience or anger, for example, the government of China and (laughs) and not get your film shown there. Yeah. So I think with this wave of superhero movies and escapist cinema and and all that stuff, we've lost this sense of cinema as, as a canary in a coal mine, as something taking the temperature of society, asking, hey, what's going on here? What's happening? And giving us a sense 
of the societies we actually live in. I'm not so sure we've lost it, though, because just look at the, some of the movies that came out last year, and you'll find that it is a very strong theme. Even if they're not the big blockbuster movies, right. there are still a lot of movies that are taking the temperature of today's society, right? If you just look at movies like Joker mm-hmm. and Parasite and things like that, um, but, you know, I mean, maybe Marvel doesn't do it, but, right. you know, these other movies are. Well, yeah, maybe we should just kind of get into it right now. Which yeah. movies have kind of foreseen this this political moment that we're living in right now? Yeah, um, there are there are quite a few, and some of these are big releases. Some of these just went straight to Netflix and things like that, but there are quite a lot. There are right. quite a lot. Um, maybe we can mention Joker first. Yeah. That's uh, not quite the most obvious choice because Joker got some pushback, and we did our whole episode on, on Joker. And if you listen to that, you'll know that Tim and I both disagreed with with um, a lot of the criticisms of it that it was just about a white guy whining and that it was just from the the MAGA perspective and things like that. I thought Joker was a a real portrait of modern society, right? And how society Definitely. fails everybody. Right. Not doesn't just fail Arthur Fleck. And if it's failing Arthur Fleck, who is a white guy, perhaps it's even worse for for other minorities. Well, absolutely. I mean, it was this particular character's point of view on a failing system. A system that fails to provide adequate health care, particularly mental health care, has few job opportunities where there's mass alienation, where there's a real sense that the class division between the rich and the poor is inescapable and it's getting worse. Yeah. And that sense of growing inequality is is a huge part of what's fueling these protests. Uh, I, I would say... You know, in retrospect, it's it's very clear that the critical backlash to this film was was fairly elitist mm-hmm. and really missed the mark in terms of what the film was trying to say, particularly in light of what Todd Phillips has said about what he was intending for this film. And, you know, despite what some people online may say about the film or how they interpreted the character, I think that sense of like, OK, if you don't fix things this is going to become a powder keg and it's going to explode. Yeah, and sure enough, the very end of that movie involves him dancing on this cop car. Right. The cop car that was previously carrying Arthur Fleck as he was going off to jail. Um, But, yeah, he's dancing on it now. Well, I mean, look at the protests that happen at the end of the film. Yeah. Uh, One thing to know, too, is that, I mean, you'll notice a lot of the protesters are not white. Yep. Right? I mean, that's something that kind of got lost, but... They really just look like what's happening right now in America. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they do. That's why I was so impressed with Joker when I saw it, when we saw it last year. Which was, what, it was just like eight months ago that we were talking about. I was so impressed because of how how real it seemed. Well, yeah, it, it really kind of seemed to gauge society in a way that few other films, especially few other films that, that were that big at the box office, yeah. were. And that was, I think, its great achievement. Uh, a film, or a piece of film, I should say, I think that really struck me, especially in recent days, is the This Is America video mm-hmm. for, for Childish Gambino, directed by Hiro Murai. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. And you look at that film, it really, I'm going to call it a film, because I think it is kind of a short film. Sure. Uh, it's, it's definitely a piece of video art. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And such an amazing accomplishment, because, I mean, the song's great, but... You really have to see it with the video to really appreciate what it's saying, what it's communicating. 
And I think it really seems to kind of dive into this duality of the black experience in recent years where it's like, okay, there's this one part that's kind of ascendant where you have like hip hop and rap becoming the dominant genres and you have, you know, uh, this kind of renaissance of black directors like Barry Jenkins just kind of becoming, you know, Oscar winning directors and, and becoming national figures. Uh, and that's kind of represented by by the kind of happier part of the song where you kind of got this this African inspired, you know, part of the song that we have choirs and stuff like that. Yeah. And then you have this super dark trap inspired element that right. comes in. And, you know, right when Donald Glover guns down people in the film. Yep. And so you kind of get this idea of like, while there is this ascendancy, particularly in terms of culture, there is this undercurrent of darkness that, you know, is probably speaking to things like, you know, police brutality, mass incarceration, racism, and all these kind of toxic legacies that that really haven't been properly addressed. And I think for someone like Donald Glover, he may be kind of expressing the point of view of someone who kind of feels like some guilt over that. Right. Where he's like, I, I am profiting off of this system that I know is wrong. And I think he's kind of addressing that. And then, I mean, just look at the people in the background seeming to kind of like riot. Look at the end of the film where he seems to be running away from these people who just want to kill him. I've always interpreted that as the police are chasing him just because he decides to light a joint. Right. I mean, that's he does all these things throughout, uh, throughout the music video that a lot of white people have done, like, uh, like, like the shooting in churches and things like that. Right. But it seems like at the end of the day, he's he's getting chased by the police just because he decided to smoke a joint. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and there are, you know, if you look at, at certain things like after he guns down people, there's always someone who emerges with this like red pillow so he can set the gun down. Yeah. On. Right. And right. that was I think some people have noted that seems to be kind of like a, a reference to the fact that, you know, gun rights are so protected uh, despite the brutality that happens. Uh as a result of, of, you know, the the amount of gun ownership in the country and stuff like that. Yeah, that's right. It'll always be safe. Let's put let's put the gun away nicely. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah, an incredible piece of, of art there. And something where I, I think because it does cut across those two lines of kind of like there is this positive ascendant element and this super dark element. I think that's why it really struck a nerve. Uh what's another film I, I that you kind of one, yeah, this is one that has been very popular these days. It came out right at about the 2016 election, but uh, one that made a big impression on me and one that people are pushing is 13th, the Ava DuVernay movie. Ah, right. And that takes a look at the, the 13th Amendment and how that freed the slaves, but it also does look at the mass incarceration that's going on in the United States and largely of of African-American citizens. Right. And how in that sense that kind of carries on the tradition of slavery. Right. Right. And that's one that's that's also worth checking out. And and that one shows um, shows snippets of Donald Trump's campaign talking about how he's going to be the law and order president, which just goes to show that it's just going to continue on this cycle of mass incarceration. Yeah, right. And there's a great recent article by Matt Taibbi that kind of looks into how, and a lot of p- other people have pointed this out, but uh, this is one that's fresh in my mind, where he, he kind of pointed out how the institution of policing is, is really bound up with like slave patrols mm-hmm. and stuff like that and Jim Crow. 
And so there is this kind of like very, uh, what would you say, like a, a kind of punishment aspect to it. Oh, yeah. And, for you sure. know, keeping people in line. That's kind of tied in with this whole notion of, of maintaining order. And yeah, it's it's a very dark legacy. Yeah, and uh, it explores things like declaring how declaring the war of on drugs really weighed more heavily on on minorities than it did on 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 white people and things like that. So the thirteenth is is another one that if it didn't predict this this current state may because it's a documentary may actually explain some things and it is very good on shedding light on why these people are protesting. Right, and you could also mention to Selma from 2014, yep. which is about the the 1965 march from Selma uh, to Montgomery that that was waged by Martin Luther King. Yeah, a very successful campaign for civil rights. Uh, another film I wanted to mention that kind of gets more into the protest thing is is Us by Jordan Peele. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I know you and I weren't really big fans of that movie, but I don't. I, I maybe it's maybe my opinion of it hasn't really changed, but I I kind of get a clearer idea of the message at this point. I think. You know, the idea of kind of like the the unconscious, the shadow self of America kind of rising up, you know, and the fact that it's almost like this idea of, of Freud's of the return of the repressed. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't acknowledge past traumas, they will come back. Yeah. And in this film, it's kind of expressed as a, as a metaphor, I think, where you have these kind of like doppelgangers, these these underlings who live underground and they eventually come back and kind of overtake their their good selves or whatever, or the, their kind of like normal selves, and kind of eventually take over the world. And this is really kind of a, a, a very interesting metaphor for how kind of like the, the oppressed will rise up if, if you don't address kind of the, the past trauma that, that they've experienced. Yeah, right. And I know that that is also dealing a lot with the the explanation that I like best from what the meaning of this movie is that I that I came across after we had talked about it was that it, it largely deals with uh, the guilt that some upper middle class well to do black families may feel about supposedly leaving other black people behind. Right, and that was that was an interesting perspective. Well, yeah, that's the one that I like best. It's it's a really tough subject to deal with. Uh, it's got to be for for Jordan Peele, and I think that's why maybe the film didn't work for us mm-hmm. necessarily. I mean, uh, I it's a film I actually want to go back to because it's one where maybe there was too much happening for me to clearly get a grasp on it. I agree. It might be one that I need to to give another go at. Right, because Get Out was so good. It was, right? yeah. and uh, Jordan Peele is such an interesting filmmaker, and you know. We've focused kind of on the American context here mostly, but there's an international context as well that that shows that it was not just American filmmakers looking at this. I know there was a film that we both saw at uh, the Busan International Film Festival last year Mm -hmm. that we both enjoyed. Yeah, that's right. It was the the French movie Les Miserables, which was not at all based on the Victor Hugo material. In fact, it was set in the the neighborhood in which Victor Hugo wrote the original story. But it was inspired. I, I think it ends with a quote from him. Right, right. I mean, there are influences of it, but it's not a straight adaptation of the work. Right. But this is this is strictly a police brutality movie. Right. right? And this is about uh, about corrupt cops patrolling an area that is largely lived in by by 
minorities in Paris. Right, by black immigrants yeah. from from Africa, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And a very powerful movie just to show you how out of hand things can get and what happens when the people have decided they've had enough. Right, and you do kind of get an insider perspective on what it's like to, to be a police officer a little bit uh, where, you know, even a, a cop who seems to be motivated by good instincts and and seems to be trying to do the right thing because the system is so wrong-headed he falls into the situation where he's kind of like being the oppressor and he's he's creating resentment he's he's fueling the violence and this this cycle of kind of resentment and violence doesn't seem to be you know, nearing an end anytime soon in this film. No, and, you know, when it's it's an interesting difference between the things that happen in movies and the things that happen in real life. You know, in real life, you do get people who say something like, well, I wish they wouldn't react this way. I wish they Mm. wouldn't break stuff. But then when it happens in a movie like Les Mis or even something that's so different, like Star Wars, right? Mm -hmm. You know, no one ever says, man, I wish they just wouldn't, why are you know why can't they just be nice about the way that they're protesting? You know right. why did they have to blow up the Death Star? <laughs> you know, and when you're watching a movie, you're always on the side of those people. Right, right. You're not. You're not. No one's watching Les Mis on the side of the the awful cops. Well, I mean that is kind of like the, I, I guess the value of films in a way. It has this distancing effect where. You know, it's not your business or someone you know's business being burned or looted. So Mm. it's like you don't feel a connection to it. You can kind of distance yourself from it. Where the minute things become real, you might know someone, you know, affected by it. You can't take that overview and try to contextualize things. And, you know, I I think one of the difficulties of this political moment is like, yeah, it's tough to get an overview. Because there's bad things happening. There's good things happening. And... Putting it into context, it's like, yeah, you can understand the outrage. There's also things that, you know, you can't really abide by that are kind of unacceptable. And sorting through those things and trying to get a handle on things, and it's tough. Yeah. And I think films at least prepare us for this moment and and help us get, like, more of a well-rounded sense of what's happening. Uh, Another film that's, I think, worth mentioning here, too, uh, if we're talking about international films— Oh, and I should mention, too, uh, Les Mis was directed by uh, Laji Lee. And it's kind of, I think, important that you have a a black director here from another country, from France, who's bringing that perspective. Uh, Another film worth mentioning here, too, is is Parasite, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, or Gi Sang-chun. Right, and Bong Joon-ho's not a stranger to making movies about classism. Right. And, you know, while it lacks the racial element and, you know, the the police brutality element, it's very much about how class fuels violence and and class divisions are are really untenable. I think the film climaxes in this really violent sort of outburst that prefigures the the violence of some of the, the riots that we see today. Yeah, it definitely shows you how class differences can really create resentment and also result in in uprisings of sorts. And I mean they're literally coming up from the basement right. in that movie. Just like in us they're actually coming up from the, those bunkers. And in Joker he's walking up those stairs. Yeah, yeah, you know, right. to go home uh every day. Uh another film worth mentioning too. I know we both love this one from 2018 Gaspar Noé Climax. Yeah, and this is one that I didn't really 
look at before as as one about racial and class divisions. But yeah, I guess in this sense, when you have a lot of different people who are uh, in a dance troupe working together and they're of different genders and classes and races, and then it all goes to hell because of LSD, then yeah, everything hits the fan and you kind of get to learn about who people really are. Well, yeah, it's kind of this, the way I see it, it's kind of this perfect metaphor for society where it's like, all right, this dance troupe, multiracial, multigender dance troupe goes to this kind of abandoned school to rehearse. And, you know, what better kind of metaphor for racial and gender harmony than a dance troupe working together? Everyone's happy. Everyone's on the same page. Everyone's complimenting each other. Right. <laughs> they seem to be getting along perfectly. And then somebody slips some LSD into some uh, sangria, yeah. right? And things just go haywire. And all these kind of like unconscious divisions and these personal divisions, uh, whether along racial lines or gender lines or just, you know, personal relationship lines, they all come out and things just go nuts. And I think Gaspar Noe is, is trying to say, at least in the way I interpret it, that you know, again, things will come back. If you have all this resentment and indeed trauma built up, it will come out. All it needs is the right sort of push, the right sort of moment. And like all these other films, it kind of portrays society as this powder keg willing or waiting to to blow. Mm -hmm. All it's waiting for is that match to light it. And in this case, it's drugs. In, you know, other cases, it's like, a violent incident like in Les Mis or in, in Joker, it might be just a series of kind of mishaps and, and you know, misfortunes that befall one person. Um, and, and also, you know, the, the shooting of, of the Wall Street guys as mm -hmm. well. But it's always like there's so much bad stuff happening. There's so much trauma and oppression that once this match strikes, uh, this thing is going to blow. Yeah, right. And that's what I think a lot of these movies are are talking about. And in some ways, it kind of makes me wonder how people can be surprised that people are reacting in the way that they are. Oh, for right? sure. If, if, if filmmakers can see it and that people who are making these movies can see it, it's kind of surprising that there are so many people who, who didn't see it coming. If you take seriously the idea that films are you know, canaries in, in coal mines or the canary in the coal mine, then you really have to kind of admit that, that you know, we, we did kind of see this coming. There was a sense in the air that, that this was kind of going to come to a head, that this, this powder keg was going to explode. And, you know, some other films, too, that are worth mentioning as well, they're not exactly about protests in every case, but they do help explain our political moment. Uh, Barry Jenkins, if mm -hmm. Beale Street could talk, yeah. his adaptation of, of the um, James Baldwin novel, it really kind of gives you a sense of, like, what it may have been like being young and black and trying to, to find housing uh, in the 1960s. Yeah. I think it's the 1960s. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what it's like to, to be arrested for, you know, really a really petty offense and to be incarcerated and the injustice of that. And you feel it on a, on a real emotional level, um, just seeing what it does to his family, to his to his girlfriend. And it's just it's heart wrenching, but it's a beautiful film. 
Uh, I would also mention as well, in terms of protest films, Children of Men, Alfonso Cuaron, V for Vendetta. Mm. I mean, both of these films kind of saw that it was inevitable that there would be this mass protest. Well, V for Vendetta in in particular is uh, maybe very topical today because that's anti-fascist. Right. Right. Which apparently now is a, a terrorist point of view. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that that's one uh, where they're standing up to an anti-fascist government. That could be one that's very, very topical today. Oh, for sure. Mm. For sure. Uh, yeah. And, you know, that kind of plays into as well, like the kind of symbolism and the the way that the conflicting forces today have been named. Mm-hmm. I think it's 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 quite extreme. I mean, it's. You know, uh, if you look at social media, it's always like fascism versus, you know, uh, anti-fascism or Mm -hmm. something like that. I I think that's definitely part of what's happening. But as I mentioned before, this is actually a very multifaceted and complex phenomenon. Yeah, right. Um, There's one that we haven't mentioned yet, though, that that could actually be one of the more defining ones, and that's Do the Right Thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Do the Right Thing from 1989, Spike Lee, um, might still be might still be the, the crowning achievement of Spike Lee's career. And really, like, maybe more than any other film we've mentioned, even though it's a bit older, it may explain this political moment more than any other film, really. Because yeah. it's, you know, it, it really has a an event in the film that, that mirrors what happened with George Floyd. I mean, when, uh, when Radio Rahim gets choked out by the police, mm-hmm. uh, it creates this, this uprising, this, this riot where people just can't take it anymore. And yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I believe Spike Lee made this short film recently called Three Brothers, where he kind of cut together footage of, of Radio Rahim's death with the death of uh, George Floyd and Eric Garner as well. So, I mean, for him, that's that's very a very clear sort of uh, prefiguring of these events. Yeah, and the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Right. Yeah. Listen, I, I thought it'd be interesting uh, just to kind of finish off with a, a, a poem. Oh, um, yeah? This is a this is poem. The first for now, it's dark. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it, I came across this poem fairly recently, and it okay. seemed to really explain uh, maybe this political moment and the, these protests and the, these riots more than any other sort of piece of literature I've seen recently. Mm-hmm. This is by Langston Hughes. And he says, What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun, or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat? Or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet. Maybe it just sags like a heavy load. Or does it explode? Mm. And I thought that really seemed so appropriate today. Right, because we might be able to see the answer to this this poem right now. Well, yeah. And I mean, it seems to cut across racial and gender lines Mm -hmm. in, in the way this protest is. Because... When you're talking about dreams deferred, you're talking first and foremost about the dreams of African Americans mm-hmm. and and you know everyone who's been held back by racism. But you're also talking about people who are under economic oppression, right? Who who don't have the means to accomplish their dreams, right? Yeah. And that includes the vast majority of people right now. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's hard to know what's going to happen next. But I think really we need to take seriously this idea that cinema can really help gauge society and help us figure out what's going on. 
Yeah, right. And it's such a powerful theme that um, some of th- these movies that we mentioned are are all very good. Oh, for sure. You know, I mean, it's a very powerful, very moving theme. Yeah, this this makes a great sort of film curation mm-hmm. uh, set right here. A great set of films to watch, just to kind of yeah, really get a sense of what's going on. And um, I I look forward to kind of exploring more films in this vein. Until next time, I guess it's just uh, about waiting and seeing what happens, right? Yeah, and uh, anyone who pretends to know what's going on right now, I think. It's probably lying, because I don't think we're going to know what's going on for a while now. Yeah, that's right. Well, hey, if you want to hear more Now It's Dark, you can go and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, and also find us on YouTube at Now It's Dark.